Hey, everybody. Welcome to The Fizzle Show. I'm your host, Corbett Barr, and this is our podcast about earning a living independently doing something you love. And today we are joined by Steph Crowder. For those of you who may have been listening to The Fizzle Show back in the day, Steph was a co-host for quite a while, along with Chase and I and Barrett. And I am really happy to have her back because she has been off on her own for the past couple of years running Courage and Clarity. She's done tremendously and I don't get a chance to check in with her often enough. So Steph, thanks so much for coming back on. Thank you for having me. This feels like, this always feels like home base for me. I love getting to come back on the Fizzle Show. So I'm glad we get to hang out today. Totally. And it's been a little bit too long, but you had baby number two recently. I did. Baby Will was born back in September and then we, you know, this little thing called the global pandemic of 2020 <laughs> hit. And so it's been crazy. I can't believe he's, at least at the time of this recording, it's already been almost nine months, which blows my mind. They say that the second baby, everything feels a lot faster. And that has been 100% true for me. So just kind of figuring out how all of this works, adjusting to two kids, global pandemic, and, you know, <laughs> taking it day by day. Well, and, you know, it's... <sighs> It's hard for somebody like me who, to be honest, like my day-to-day has not changed. Right. <laughs> and and I and my heart goes out to people. We have a lot of friends who are young parents these days. Mm-hmm. And I know that it's just a complete 180 from yeah. what your normal life is like and from probably what you're expecting these months to go like with your new child because yes. normally you have help, right? And yeah. and and you have uh, more than a toddler. Maddie's what, five now? Four. Four. Mm-hmm. Yep. And so that's a lot to manage and to be trying to work at home. And yeah. I know it's it's got to be just like one of the biggest challenges you faced in your business, especially. Yeah, absolutely. And I think one of the things that I've been working on for a long time back at Fizzle and Encouraging Clarity, something that I I enjoy thinking about talking about and creating things around is how to ruthlessly prioritize as Mm. a small business owner. But all of the things I've created have really been put to the test over the past few months because if I thought I was working with not a lot of time before, now it's like tiny slivers of time. So it's been a fun challenge to, and honestly too, it's also, I, I don't know if other people out there might feel this way. It's been kind of fun to challenge my own limiting beliefs around, I think growing up, we're often taught that hard work and how much you work, how long you work is going to translate directly to how much money you make. And I have found that to be true. Like bending the, I have found that bending the rules on that. I was just telling you before we started recording that May of this year has been my strongest revenue month of 2020 so far. And I've worked the least in terms of hours. And so that's been really fun to start to like try to set some new beliefs around, Hey, maybe it's not actually about how much you work. It's more so about, are you working on the right things? And I think that's natural for people who are transitioning from working on a salary or hourly basis. Mm-hmm. You're, you are paid to work as many hours as possible, basically, mm-hmm. and to put in that effort. And, and so then when you start working on your own business, it feels like you have to do the same thing. Yep. But it's easy to forget that all of the things that we do in our business, you know, all of the content creation, like that takes forever, right? Podcasting, blogging, creating videos, all that kind of stuff. It can easily feel like that's your job. Yeah. When at the end of the day, your job is to figure out how to get your customers, followers, whatever, 
to purchase something that you've created from you that's valuable, that solves a yes. problem or fulfills a need or desire. Yep. And a lot of times there are shortcuts to that, right? Mm -hmm. There are ways to do that without having to go through the three years of slog of like yeah. building up an audience. Yeah. So I know that's, I know that's, you know, what you approached me with for today and, and I'd love to, to get at that. But let's also talk, I'd love to know from someone who's a planner, like <laughs> you, you are a big time planner mm -hmm. and your plans have just basically been thrown out the window for this year. And, and that's got to be so devastating for people. I know you even teach a lot of courses around planning, how to get your yep. year in order, all that kind yes. of stuff. Yep. People set out their 2020 and it looks perfect and they can't wait to dive in and see how they do against their goals. And then something like this happens, totally mm -hmm. unforeseen. Nobody could have predicted it. And all that goes out the window. So, so what does a planner like you do when that happens? Yeah, it's such a good point. And I've been thinking about this a lot because a lot of folks in my community have expressed that feeling of devastation that you mentioned that, you know, if, if anybody follows me on Instagram over at Courage and Clarity or watches any of my videos, you'll see this like giant calendar I have on my wall. I do all my videos in front of it. It's got post-it notes and it looks really pretty. And I teach people how to plan their entire year on the wall and visualize it. So for a lot of people walking into your office and seeing these like giant calendar pages, with all the dreams you had for 2020, it's like an extra smack in the face that all of that stuff just went poof for a lot of people. And I mean, cause seriously, at least right now in May, I don't even know what's happening next month. I don't know if I'll have childcare. I don't know if my kids are going to school in September. We have no idea. And so that can feel extremely deflating because initially I think the feeling is like, wow, okay. Everything I wanted to get done this year is now canceled. And that's terrifying. That was how I felt at the beginning too. And then how I've adjusted over the, I guess it's been two months now has really been more so to start to ask the question, what needs to happen in the here and now? What really matters to me? What's enough financially, like getting down to brass tacks for like going into kind of nuclear mode? Like what is going to be the amount of money that I need to bring into my family to maintain, you know, the type of life that I want to have? And allowing that to sort of be the guiding light as you sort of gestured towards, I feel like when something like this happens, it allows you to sort of peel back all the extraneous stuff that you may have been working on and you almost go into like minimum viable business mode. Yep. And I don't think that's a place you'd want to live in forever. Uh, like what we're going to talk about today, this idea of like scrappy selling, it would be kind of exhausting. But in the short term, when, and I hope it's not this way forever, where we're living week to week, month to month, but as we sort of weather this and take, try to, our best to take care of ourselves, our families, all the stuff that's going on, I have found that just kind of asking myself, what am I doing this month? What's my number this month? Am I reaching it? And if so, how? Is really all I need to be focused on, which you're right, is a, is a departure from my normal, like, oh, let's plan a year out. But right now, I think that's just going to bring more stress than it is comfort. And so taking that same energy and thinking about how do I make things awesome this month and trusting that I have what it takes to figure out next month when we get there, because there's going to be new information, new landscape. And there's really no point in trying to forecast that because we just don't know yet. Yeah. When the, the future is less predictable than normal, yeah, it doesn't make sense to have forecasts that go out so far because yeah. they're going to have to change much more than, than they normally would. I mean, we all have to adjust our plans throughout the yeah. year in normal times. Now it's like, yeah, who knows what's going to happen? Yeah. So 
I love this idea. <clears throat> We're focused more in the short term. And being a business owner, I know that there is nothing more satisfying, nothing that takes the stress off more than getting a cash infusion. Yes. Than having your bills paid for the next month or two because you did something to get some money in the door. Mm -hmm. And you know, when when we're planning out a year or two years from now, sometimes we get a little bit, we're able to kind of hunker down and say, well, the cash is going to come, but first I need to build all these foundational pieces. Mm -hmm. And that is a great way to build a nice long-term business. But a lot of times we can get so focused on the foundational pieces that we forget that the money is really the thing that we need, right? That's yep. the goal of doing all of this stuff. Yep. And, and by pulling it all into the now, maybe there are some useful lessons that people are going to take away from this and be able to apply down the road, right? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So, so in this world of scrappy selling and trying to get cash in the door, where do you start? Like, where does your mind go first? Well, I think one thing that, that I've been thinking about with this is I know for most of us, many of us, when we first start our businesses, when you're first kind of dabbling with this whole thing, it's tempting to believe that you, you get that sort of like hockey stick growth or that it's all sort of just like up and to the right, right? That's yeah. like incremental growth over time. And you know better than anybody, and I know too, that that is just not how it works, pandemic or not. It sometimes feels like it's, you know, a roller coaster. It's some months are awesome. Other months you're like, oh, wow, what's happening? It's up and it's down. It's two steps forward, you know, one step back. And so whether you are, you know, weathering something like we are right now in scrappy selling and a cash infusion is really helpful for obvious reasons, whether that's the case or it's just normal times, I think one lesson we can all carry out of this is you can create cash injections in your business anytime to even out that roller coaster feeling. Mm. You know, it's like sometimes, like I said, you, you get a great month and you're like, yes, this is great. But when things start to dip, you can feel panic and you can start to feel out of control. And I know for me, that's why I'm such a planner because I like to try to control the chaos. I think a lot of us crave that control in our businesses. And so using cash injection strategies to get some of that revenue in your pocket in a way that's easy, simple, straightforward, and quick um, can really allow you to even out those ebbs and flows. So that's kind of what it makes me think of first. You know, right now, it's obvious that this is a great thing to do because there's so many unknowns more than usual, but this is also a strategy that works really great anytime you just kind of want to bolster your revenue. Awesome. Love it. So, all right. Do you have like a framework for this or? I do. As, it, right. so, as it so happens. Yes. Steph the so, planner has a framework for this. <laughs> what a surprise. So I think you hit the nail on the head too, Corbett. You said before that what we really want to do is sort of balance the long term with the short term. So I feel like today, as we talk about scrappy selling, we are going to be thinking more about that short term. Having the long term is really important too. And what I want to point out to start with is as everybody is thinking about the short term, because I think it's just help, like I said, it's healthier to focus on that right now. One thing that doesn't change is your mission, right? Like that, mm. that's the thing that stays con constant, what you care about, why you do what you do, what it means to you, what it means to your customer, your value proposition. These are all things that stay constant. And I think that's really helpful to keep in mind that yes, plans change, goals change, 
ultimately goals are just there to support the fulfillment of your mission. So it's not that you're throwing out everything when you start to switch into the scrappy selling mentality. You're just kind of changing the way you come at fulfilling the same mission. So I just like to start by reminding people that no matter what you do, no matter what's happening, your why, whether it's your personal why for you know the lifestyle you're trying to create or the why of your customers, why they give a crap what you're doing, that stays constant. So it's really just, um, amending how we come at this. So for me, I just want to mention sort of like an, an example of this that even goes outside of the pandemic and all of the stuff that's going on right now. Another example, I started using scrappy selling strategically in my own business towards the end of 2019 when I was about to have my second baby, which we talked a little bit about. I, it was August. I had Will on September 4th and let's see, it was like late July, I would say. And I felt anyone who out there who's been pregnant and owned a business may know what I'm talking about. You get this weird surge of energy. I think maybe it's just like, you know, what's coming and you need something else to focus on. And so I thought to myself, okay, I have the month of August. I feel, you know, I'm about to fund my own maternity leave. That was a new experience for me because I did my first maternity leave working for Fizzle. So that was a new curveball. And so I thought to myself, you know, if I could get a cash injection before I go out on maternity leave, that's going to like allow me to really unplug. I wanted to take September through the end of the year totally off. And so I put together my first real scrappy selling offer with that goal in mind. And so before we get into what this framework looks like, I think it's really important to have a firm understanding of what your number is on a monthly basis. So we talk a lot over in Fizzle about minimum viable income and what that number needs to be so that you can put food on the table, support your family, have the kind of life that you want. For me, going into my maternity leave, I knew that my business needed to bring in roughly $10,000 a month in revenue. So revenue, not what I'm taking home. And so I figured, Hey, if I could put together a quick kind of high level coaching program for seven people in the month of August, I could generate a whole extra month worth of cash that way. And that's exactly what I did. I just used my current audience to fill that. And it was so fun. It was so aligned. It was keeping me in my zone of genius, which is really helping people get their businesses off the ground, create traction and make money. And I did that and it bought me like a whole extra month of maternity leave. And it just made me feel that much more confident, um, in taking that runway. And so that's really the first, like, I guess, pre-step before I get into this framework is you really want to know what that number is for you in your business and in your life. Because if your answer is, well, the more money I make is just like, that's what I want. I just want as much money as I can make. You probably know this too, Corbett. That is like a financial treadmill and it's, you never feel like it's enough. I know people probably think, I know I thought it would feel like enough. It's never enough. And you're always feeling like you can't unplug and that you can't relax because there's more money to be made. And so, especially during a time like this, where we're going through crisis management, you really need to know what that number is for you so that when you hit it, for example, for me, it's May 20th, I'm good for the month. I don't have to be freaking out and trying to sell everything all the time. Yeah. And so know that number is the very first step. That, that's, that's so great because you, you can't operate in freak out mode all the time. Yeah. <clears throat> Constantly worried about like, where's the revenue coming from and so on, because you do burn yourself out. And then if you don't take the time off to relax and enjoy what you've accomplished, your body, your mind, everything is going to force you to eventually, right? Mm -hmm. You just stay in that, that uh, fight or flight mode the whole time. 
Yeah, exactly. And you, I've actually t- spoken with people, this sounds crazy, but when you're in that freak out mode, when you always feel like you need to be making more and more and more, many people actually don't look up and realize that they've made like a crap ton of money, like way more than they actually need. I've had students and clients of mine say, I had a $60,000 launch and I, I didn't even know because I didn't even look at my numbers because it just never felt like enough. And so that really happens to people. I've had people who dig into their numbers and say, I didn't realize I even made enough money to pay my mortgage this month. And so when you know and you have that connection between what you need and what you've already made, it suddenly becomes very doable because you can say to yourself, okay, for the month of you know May, I need 10K in, my, in revenue in my business. What do I have accounted for? And what's that gap? And that's really where you you can figure out, okay, I need a 3K cash in- injection, 1K, whatever it is, knowing what it is before you get started puts you, it makes you feel empowered versus that freak out mode. And one other thing that br- this brings to mind, Steph, if let's say, you know, you, you have some cash infusions in mind, you have your number in mind and all goes well and you end up like earning more than you need to, to make that month. That's a great yes. feeling as well. But that, that gives you a buffer and exactly. that buffer can then allow you the next month or the month after to go back into more long-term building mode so that you can smooth these things out over time so that you're not always in scrappy selling mode. Yes. That's not the goal, like you said earlier. You don't exactly. always want to be fighting for you know, the next mm-hmm. bit of cash. Uh, so when you do, then use that money to basically pay yourself to reinvest your time back into your business. That is such a good point. And this is just as an example, it's not like this for me every month, but I was way ahead in May and I realized that. And so what I did was I I paused on launching, selling, going crazy. And I said, oh, I'm going to use this month to batch new content. I'm going to batch podcast episodes. I'm going to create some new videos so that I have content rolling for the next quarter. Now, if I didn't have this awareness, I would have hit my number and just kept going, kept like doubling down on the craziness, just kept thinking, okay, I got to bring in more and more. But like you said, because I was over my goal, I thought, oh, great. Now I can switch my brain over to content creation mode because it's every bit as important to grow as it is to sell because then you're not going to have any new leads next time around. Yeah. Or in times like this, you can use that extra time to tend to your family, you know, because you may have been neglecting them. Maybe you need to write new lesson plans or whatever you're doing at home these days. We just went over to, my wife bought a chair for her studio and we went over to pick it up and the guy said, yeah, we're selling all this furniture because we had to turn our basement into a classroom (laughs) because they have two kids at home and they've already heard that school's not starting up anytime soon. So who knows? Yep. Exactly. So once you have that awareness, that part is so critically important. If you think into yourself, okay, I could really use the cash injection. That sounds great. The first step that I'd love to talk about is this idea of identifying your low hanging fruit. Okay. So learning to work with what you already have is a really great way to approach this. So I have a little bit of a like a visual. I know we're on a podcast, but I encourage you guys to just kind of think along along this with me. If you were to imagine a Venn diagram with three different circles, imagine that they're overlapping. And the criteria here is quick, 
fun, and easy. And in the middle of that is your low-hanging fruit. So quick, the question is, what could I put together quickly like today? So you're not going to be creating like a brand new course, which is going to take, you know, shooting video and all this like create like sales pages and all kinds of stuff like that. Something quick, something that you kind of may already have in your back pocket, something that you could really turn around with not a lot of time. Because again, the idea here is we're creating a quick cash infusion. It's not, go ahead. And, and what, what would you use to bound quick? What is quick to you? Like it's something you can do in a day, a week, a month. It's a good question. I think when I think about quick, it's, it's time for sure, but it's also energy, I would say. So if you're thinking to yourself, you know, maybe I could get this done in, I think, I think like less than a week, maybe two days, two days to five days, okay. um, depending on, I mean, what is time these days, depending on how much, how much time you actually have to dedicate to it. But it's also an effort thing as well. So it's sort of like it, it sh- and again, easy was one of the criteria. So this is kind of where we get to be overlapping into easy, but it shouldn't feel really difficult. So whatever time frame feels comfortable is what I would say there, but it just shouldn't feel like, oh my gosh, I have like uh, so much that I would have to do in order to pull this off. Got it. So thinking about what's quick, bonus points, if you can kind of, if you can turn it around like today, that is the best thing to do because that's really going to reveal what you really have at your disposal already. For example, if you know that you could put together like a little coaching program or you could get one client, I mean, that's something that you could kind of put together. That's an offer that you could put together today because you already have that skill set. So thinking about quick, then getting into easy. So we sort of already started verging into that a little bit, but asking yourself the questions, what skills do I have right now and who could I help? So who do I already know? Who might I already be connected to? You know, do I have students or customers or clients that have purchased from me in the past that I could put a new offer in front of? Because we know that it's oftentimes easier to sell a repeat customer than it is to go build trust with somebody totally new. So with easy, what skills do I have right now and who could I help that I already know? And then finally, fun, this is this part's really important too, is what would I enjoy? So what would I like to do? What would feel exciting for me while also making an impact? Mm. So that's what to think about with fun. So if you think about you really need all three of these criteria because if you do something that's just quick and fun but not easy, then you then you're going to feel difficulty, right? Because it's it might be quick and fun, but if it doesn't have ease to it, it's going to feel hard. We don't want yep. that. If you just do fun and easy, it's going to be slow, right? <laughs> we don't have that quickness to it. It's it, you know, it might be easy in terms of I already have the skills and fun, like I'm excited to put it together, but if I'm not thinking with that sort of like truncated timeline, it's going to be slow to produce and that's and not you what might, we're looking you for. might not get cash in the door for quite some time in that scenario. Exactly. And then if we only focus on quick and easy, but there's no fun involved, that's where you get resistance. People ask all the time, oh God, I have so much resistance towards creating this thing or writing this blog post. Yeah, that's because you're not coming at it with some fun. So you really do need all three of those criteria, quick, easy, and fun. That is going to be your best bet with finding that low hanging fruit. Right now, the world is changing and businesses are adapting in different ways. So in these uncertain times, how do you make sure your marketing gets the results you need? LinkedIn can help you reach the right people who are looking for opportunities to help their businesses and can focus your campaigns on the objectives for today so your marketing works better. 
With over 62 million decision makers on LinkedIn, you're able to connect with the right business leaders, people who are there to learn how to be more effective at their jobs, and find products to help their companies. 71% of people say they use information they find on LinkedIn to inform their business decisions. And with LinkedIn ads, you can make sure your messages are getting through to these relevant people. See how LinkedIn can help you with a free $100 LinkedIn ad credit to launch your first campaign. Visit linkedin.com slash fizzle. That's linkedin.com slash fizzle. Terms and conditions apply. So let me share an example of, of something that I did recently that, that was low-hanging fruit for me that I think meets all three of those criteria. So when this whole thing started back in March, you know, when the, the pandemic hit, everything was being locked down, I started worrying myself, right? There's uncertainty. And you wonder, yeah. like, what is my business going to look like three months from now? Like, are yes. all my customers going to dry up? It's hard to say. So I started looking at my year and my plans and realizing that, well, those plans might not happen as I laid them out. So let's go into basically exactly what you're describing here. Let's go into scrappy selling mode. And I, and I looked at everything yes. and I thought, okay, where do I have opportunities to bring some cash in right now? And of course, I could go to my audience and sell something. But for some reason, something came to mind. I hadn't worked with clients in a long time. And I thought, yes, you know, I wouldn't mind doing a little bit of client work. It seems kind of fun to me because I haven't done it in so long. So I just put it in the back of my mind like, you know what? I'm going to be open to doing some client work, maybe coaching, maybe actually like rolling up my sleeves, whatever. And if something comes up, you know, I'll be open to that. Or maybe I'll make a list of everyone that I know and start reaching out to them. But mm -hmm. as soon as I put that in my mind, which, you know, for the past couple of years, I hadn't done it all. It's just been a thing like I don't do client work. As soon as I put that in my mind, a particular customer of ours for Palapa, the software platform that I had, has been working on a big project for a while. And every time I checked in with them, they said, yeah, we're working on it. It's coming along. So finally, instead of just saying, okay, that's great. Like, let me know when you're ready. I said, do you need any help with that? Like, yes, you know, this is right in my wheelhouse. Is this something that I could look at for you? And fast forward, you know, I end up with a, a customer or a client now that's like taking up mm, close to half of my time mm -hmm. uh, as a freelancing client. And that's bringing in a ton of cash for a couple of months. Mm -hmm. So it's not my long-term strategy, but in this world of uncertainty, it's like, great to bring in that extra cash. And they are, like you said earlier, it doesn't change my why. These are still, this is a client now who's going to be a customer for one of my other products. So I'm helping, you know, it's a win-win for me. And if you look at that Venn diagram, it was quick for me because it was literally, I started working like the next day. Yes. It's, it's relatively easy because this is the kind of work I've done a million times before. And it's fun because I haven't done client work in a while. So really tried to hit that, that sweet spot without knowing that this was the framework. That is a perfect example. And I'll give another one too, just as I'm sure everyone who's listening is kind of starting to think like, what could mine be? Sometimes it's helpful to have more examples to stoke more ideas. A uh, good friend of both of ours, Corbett, Claire Pelletro, mm -hmm. she's a buddy of mine that we talk often. And she put together a scrappy selling offer at the beginning of the pandemic as well for the same, the very same reasons. She has a ads course that she teaches like a more, again, her long-term plan is to really like robust training program 
program to teach people A to Z how to do ads, everything you need to know. But one question she gets all the time is, how do I get my first Facebook or Instagram ad up like fast? Like, how do I do just like a quick and dirty ad? So she decided to put together a $99 workshop on just that. And she said, she sent an email out to her list. She said, I got 30 spots and it sold in like nine, sold out in like 90 minutes and boom, right there, 99 times 30 people, 3000 bucks extra cash injection that was just hiding in her list. Like she wouldn't even have thought about that before, except that she kind of like you did sort of got it in her mind that what could sort of be right here under my nose that I could play with that would be fun and different. And again, just kind of created that quick cash infusion for her. And this feels like a superpower once you've done it a couple of times. Yes. You know, because we can, we can all get in those mopey periods where you're like, this, you know, this project is taking forever. I'm never going to launch it. I'm not going to get any money in the door. And when you realize like, hey, you know, there are a couple of things I can do along the way to like at least put food on my table before this bigger project yes. launches. It just feels amazing. It does. And it changes your whole energy. I feel like we've talked about this a lot on the show together before that when you don't have your back against the wall, when you're not wondering where the next meal is going to come from, that's when you can be creative. You can't come up with your next big vision when you're worried about how you're going to pay your bills. And so sometimes just getting that monkey off your back, that can be like, it can really start you down a path of, of stumbling upon your next greatest idea. So you're right. Learning how to do this um, can set you off in a new direction for sure. Awesome. All right. What's next? So we've got, okay. we've got this picture of quick, easy, and fun. Yes. And I call that the low-hanging fruit. Once you kind of hit that three-part trifecta, that's your low-hanging fruit. So once you think you uh, may have stumbled upon that, the second step here is what I call the dip-a-toe method. Okay. So sifting out interesting parties and sort of getting your first mini yes. So let me sort of talk a little bit about this. Your goal, once you kind of come up with the idea, you're thinking, okay, I have an idea for a, a paid workshop or in your case, Corbett, like maybe I'll take on some freelance clients. I haven't done that in a while. Your first step, I think the easiest thing to do is to start to kick some warm leads to the top and get a first mini yes. So the first yes is not, oh yes, like sign me up. I want, I want that. Like, let me pay, which a lot of people I think understandably sort of get that part wrong. They think, okay, who, who am I going to sell this to? I think the first yes you want to get is a yes to the concept. So mm. yes, this solution or this idea sounds interesting. So the way to do that would be to go to your audience, you know, whether that's social media, your email list, um, previous clients, whatever you have, friends, like you don't have to have much here in order to try this and just putting it out there and saying, Hey, I'm thinking of creating a workshop about your first Facebook ad. I'm thinking of, you know, helping taking on some freelance work to help project manage software, you know, whatever it is that you're thinking of creating, putting it out there to people and just starting some conversation to see if there's even any interest is a really great first step. And the reason to do this is not only to validate, right? Not only to prove that you're sort of going in the right direction, but the next step we're going to get into in a second is all about co-creating that offer. Mm. So this is like my favorite thing to do is instead of just staying in your evil laboratory and creating a sales page and putting something together all on your own, I say, why not use the people who are already paying attention to you 
dive into conversation with them and have them help you craft what's going to be the most compelling. We often just guess at this. We're like, oh, I think maybe I could just, you know, whip up this sales page all about, you know, this particular topic. When the truth of the matter is, if you can engage in some private conversation with real folks who may end up being a yes, they can guide you in the, in the right direction in terms of landing on an idea that's going to be truly compelling. So that's the second step is kind of dip a toe. So Corbett, in your story, when you sort of saw that opportunity and you were like, you re sort of reached out and you said, hey, that's something that I can help with. To me, that's exactly what you were doing is you sort of put it out there that this is something that um, you'd be interested in helping with. And then that conversation was started between the two of you and you could kind of like hammer out what that looked like. So before you just go racing into trying to sell something, stop and start to have some casual conversation with your audience to figure out where their interest even is. And then the the co-creation thing, I, I love that as well. Is that a separate step we're going to talk about here coming up or? It is. Okay. It's the okay, next one, awesome. but, but we can go to it if you want to. Well, I, so I, I was just thinking like, you know, how you would do that. My mind immediately went to like that mode. So. Yes. Yeah. Well, let's talk about it because they kind of do go together. So once you, I feel like that second step is pretty straightforward, right? Like putting it, putting the idea out there and, and let me see, I have an example. Let me see if I can pull... Here, here's just an example of what that dipping a toe can look like. Let me just share a real brass tack tax example of this. My favorite place to dip a toe personally and to do scrappy selling is with, I already hinted at this, is with my current customer base. Mm. Just because those people, they have like, you know, trust times a million with me. I've helped them get, you know, results before. And you and know, so they have money, they're willing to pay, all that yes. kind of stuff. Exactly. So what I did back in that story that I told about my sort of like August 2019, you know, I think I called it like an intensive, like a month long intensive. I went into my paid community of my students. I have a training program called Crickets to Customers. That's the primary way that I serve people. And I just made a post and I, I it's like, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but really what I said in a casual way is I just said, do I have people in here who would be interested and excited about a four week intensive coaching experience with me? I'm having a baby in September. Here's kind of what I'm thinking. Month of August, 10 people or so, there'd be customized uh, critique and feedback, weekly coaching calls. And then I said, this is just something I'm kicking around. So if it sounds like something that you would jump on, can you just comment here? Okay. And that post got a bunch of comments. And so what I did from there is I just started private conversations mm -hmm. with the people who said, oh yeah, that sounds interesting that you piqued my interest. So that's where I would go to the private conversation and head into the co-creation conversation, which we're going to talk about next. Love that. And, and I think it's easy for people to overlook those private conversations. A lot of yes. times we feel like it all has to be like mass communication through an email list or something, but you yes. can learn so much by having those, you know, side conversations that are happening sometimes over chat or over email or whatever. Yes. And, and people love to have direct access to you as well. And it can yes. make it more likely they're going to buy anyway. I'm so glad you brought this up because I really do want to mention this. I think sometimes people are, all of us are hesitant to do this because we make the mistake of thinking that it's going to erode our expertise to ask for feedback, right? Because mm. we think, oh, I'm supposed to know, I'm supposed to have this all figured out. My offer is supposed to be, you know, this polished, beautiful thing. If I go to somebody and ask for their thoughts, it's going to make it look like I don't know what I'm doing. Right. And so it does take a certain level of vulnerability. But let me just tell you guys right now, when I created this August thing that we're talking about here, I had 
seven, this is not a joke. I had seven uh, Facebook messenger windows just up across my screen and I had like lead pages open and I was creating my sales page. From what people were telling you. Exactly. And by the end of the day, when I put the page back in front of them, I had already sold half of my spots. And I had people, those people that I was talking to, they were like, oh my gosh, please don't let someone take my spot. And that's not because I'm awesome, amazing or any of that. It's because these people saw what they were looking for reflected back at them, of course, because I took it and used it to create and sculpt the offer. And And so that's where we get into the co-creation. This is brilliant copywriting 101. It's, you know, use the language that your customers are using because it's likely that other people are thinking in the exact same way. Yeah. And, and and just in case anyone thinks that, that like there's nothing, this isn't like a manipulation tactic. I truly went into this. It wasn't just me wanting to say the right thing. I actually allowed my customers to help me sculpt what the experience would be. Mm-hmm. When I sought, like started the idea, I wasn't planning to have any one-on-one access to me. Like I just didn't think I would really want to do that necessarily. But in my conversations, it seemed so important to people. Like that was the thing they were dying to have. So I thought, okay, I'll include it. I'm going to double the price, but I'll include it. And that ended up working great. So I truly did change the shape of what I offered. It wasn't just like a, oh, let me just say the right thing. So I want to make sure that that part's clear too. Love it. So we're, we're sort of already talking a little bit about this, but just to go deeper into the, the third step here, which is co-creating the offer. So this is using real conversation to understand what I call the no-brainer elements of your offer. So to me, this is where the magic of this whole idea really comes alive. In those private conversations, your chief and primary objective is to understand what would make the opportunity a no-brainer for them. That's really what you want to uncover. So you, what you bring to the party as the expert, as the person who's creating whatever it is, you know, you're going to be the one who delivers the end result and the key outcome. Like you probably go into this knowing what that is, right? But what they, what you need them to contribute it are the elements that are so important to them that it would make them feel really excited and comfortable saying yes to it. So there's a really easy way to ask this question. I like to ask people flat out, you know, once I've sort of done that dip a toe and they say, Ooh, that's interesting to me. I'll just ask them what would make this a no brainer for you? Like, seriously, like if you, you know, if you got to create the offer yourself, what would be a no brainer? And people may come back and say, like in my case, they said, Oh, I want to have one-on-one access to you. That would make it a no brainer. I recently did this with a paid workshop of my own where my people said, if I could have like some kind of 30 day accountability group, that's where we ended up. I think what they had said was if I could have some kind of accountability instead of just a one-time workshop, if we could like stay together and make sure we're implementing, that would make it a no brainer for me. So really starting to understand what is going to be the difference between someone saying, I can't afford to not do this versus "Mm, it's nice to have. So that's my favorite way to start that conversation. I'm curious, do you, in this, this framework that we're walking through, do you have anything about pricing coming up or can we talk about that? Yeah, we can definitely, I I don't have that coming up explicitly, so we can definitely talk about it. I'm just wondering at this stage, like, you know, you at, I'm thinking as the the product builder, as the Steph Crowder in this in this scenario, mm-hmm. I'm thinking about putting this thing together. I have an idea of how many people that I want in it. I also probably have an idea of the kind of revenue that I want to 
build into it. Mm-hmm. But I'm also having that like little bit of like self-doubt or, or curiosity at least about how much are people going to be willing to pay for this thing? Mm-hmm. And, and what's, how much is too much? And, and so how do I, how do I get over that? Or, or what were you doing during this to think about, is this a hundred dollar experience? Is this a $5,000 experience? Like, and mm-hmm. will people buy this? Yeah, absolutely. It's a really good question. So I like to try to have the conversation first about what would make it a no-brainer for people. And what's interesting is normally, I don't think I've had a single conversation where someone has said off the bat, oh, the price has got to be right. Like, I just don't, like that will come up later for sure. But people you want to make sure you're not just leading with, oh, you know, if I land on the perfect pricing, that's going to make somebody say yes. Truthfully, it's so much more about having people see that this is the opportunity for them. Again, this is something they can't afford to not take advantage of. So I like to at least first have that conversation around what would make them super excited about an opportunity. And this, it's a really good question. I'm glad you raised it now because this does require that we kind of like disengage and detach from the desperation you might feel to sell something. Mm-hmm. Um, you're not selling your thing right now. You're in creation mode. We talk so much on the Fizzle Show about discovery and curiosity and staying playful and experimenting. You really want to stay in that mode for the first part of the conversation. You're just dreaming. You're allowing your customers to kind of dream something up with you. And I've done this a few different ways because I've done scrappy selling with a few different offers. One of the things that I've done is once we've gotten past the no-brainer conversation, they give me a little bit of feedback. That's when I might start to very casually bring up price and say, you know, for something like this, I'm thinking it's around 997 or 1997, whatever it is that's that's happening. And I, and I just keep it really casual and say, here's everything that would be included. Does that feel right for you? Like to you, does that feel like there's enough value included? Like I'm truly just honestly asking. And, and I've had people say, yeah, that it absolutely feels like there's enough value there. I don't know if I can do that price, but I see the value. And so that's when we can kind of start to talk about there's so many different things you can do with, you know, payment plans and, you know, taking some features out of it to create two different tiers, that type of thing. So truly, I know some people might be like giving me the side eye on this, but I really see the pricing as such a secondary conversation to making sure that whatever offer you're putting out there packs a punch. Because then if you really nail it, I have found that the pricing becomes a logistical thing. It truly becomes a, how do we make this work for you? And when you're serving business clients, for example, I always like to think of it as, well, sure, this thing might be expensive on the face of it, $1,000, $2,000, whatever. Mm -hmm. But if the thing that we're doing is literally trying to help your business earn X dollars over the next year, then this is cheap. Yes. Because it ends up becoming a fraction, a small fraction of what you're going to earn down the road. And you know, depending on who's listening to this, not everybody's serving business clients. A lot of people are serving customers that are, you know, interested in crafts or hobbies or there's all kinds of things. Mm -hmm. So you just have to think about the kind of value that you're delivering to those customers. Um, What that's going to change about their lives, about their experience in the world and realize that the thing that you are offering, as Steph said, as long as it packs a punch, as long as there's enough value there, then the price becomes a secondary conversation. I love that. 
I think you just made a huge point, which is that you really do, you really do want to key in on what the outcome is for people. Like by the end of whatever this thing is, what should they have? What should be different? What has changed for them? Once you make people really zone in on that, that's where the excitement begins because they start to be able to see what's possible for them and they can get excited about taking the steps to get there. So I think that's a huge part of this for sure. Awesome. So then that just really leaves us this sort of final step here, which is trying to book people, assessing and tweaking. So we're always in the business of assessing and tweaking and playing and changing and mixing it up and seeing what's working. Ideally, here's what happens. So if you are doing a co-creation conversation, you put together the offer. Put it. I like to put it back in front of those same people. And I ask the question, not, hey, are you going to buy this? But am I in the ballpark? Like, what do you think about this? Am I, am I, am I hitting on it with this page? Do you feel like this page I've created, this offer I've created is reflecting the conversation that we've been having? And one of two things is going to happen. Typically one, someone says, okay, hold on. Like, please save my spot. Let me like, how do we make this official? Okay. Obviously then you know that you've done great and that you you're good. Sometimes you'll put that back in front of people and they'll say, <laughs> this is cool, but, or mm, let me think about it. And that's where I really like to try to dig into those hesitations and figure out t- there for the most part, I feel like that generally means I'm not quite there yet. And that's okay. Once in a while, you're going to have somebody who's like, yeah, I'm just not going to be doing this. I'm, I'm not able to take advantage of it. And that's fine. You're not going to sell hundred percent of the people into it. But if you sort of get that lukewarm reaction, they're not ready to take action right away. I just like to come back to them and ask some version of, you know, what is like knowing that you can't hurt my feelings right now, what's giving you pause? What's missing from this? You know, what's making you feel like maybe it wouldn't be worth it? And that's the question that I feel like most people are too scared to ask. And it's my favorite question to ask really anytime one of my offers just doesn't feel like it's hitting. And I've had many of my community members actually come back to me and say, I can't believe you're asking me this question. Like I feel they're like excited about the fact that I value their opinion enough Mm. to tell me what needs to change because most companies, services, and products aren't going to do that. They're not going to take that sort of customer feedback so directly into account. And so really making sure that you're tweaking based on what the response is. So the example that I have for this is my latest scrappy selling endeavor is I went ahead and hosted my own $99 workshop. I did a year on the wall tune-up workshop, which I've never done this before. Usually it's a free workshop, but I gave it a serious facelift and it was all about like the crisis management edition of my year on the wall training. And I was selling it for 99 bucks. And I was having conversations with people, co-created it, thought it was good, but I was getting sort of a lukewarm response. What ended up coming back is folks said to me, you know, we, we know that you can teach us to plan stuff, but my hesitation is I fall down on implementing Hmm. and I don't know if I'm going to be held accountable. So I'm going to come to your workshop and like, then I'm just going to fall off of it. Like I always have. So what's going to make that different? Because of those conversations, I ended up adding a 30-day pop-up group. So just 30 days after, you know, we closed it down at the 30-day mark to check in with people every single week and and continue to coach them, not taking too much of my time really, uh, but just checking in with them and having some cool conversations, that 
pushed. I mean, that ended up being like the number one thing. And I would have had no idea that that's what people really wanted. I thought I would just teach an amazing workshop, but ultimately they wanted to be held accountable. And once I added that, I felt the sales really kick on and was able to, to fill up all the spots for that. This is brilliant because so many people just throw up a sales page and then they sit there scratching their heads wondering why are people not buying uh, how, and they have no idea how to get feedback. They think that yeah. people are just going to like magically email them and say, Hey, I don't want to buy this thing because of whatever, but that's not going to happen. Mm -hmm. And we should expect that this is the advice coming from Steph because Steph has an amazing course inside of Fizzle called customer conversations, yes. which is all about talking to your customer because your customer has the answers. Yes. And the amazing thing about this is not just that you're going to get this feedback that's going to help you transform your product or your sales message, but also if you ask customers questions and get them to think about what would make them want to buy this product, you're putting, in them, you're putting them in the mode of considering the product and whether mm -hmm. or not they actually want to buy it. And that's the conversation that you need to be having with your customers. They need to be having in their own heads. Yes. Do I want this thing? What about it do I like? What do I not like? Because then they're making a sales decision, which is pretty far down the process of actually buying. You want to yes. give people a reason to have to consider your offer uh, a deadline is great, but also if you're able to get them questions in their head swirling around, what do I like about this? What don't I like? It makes them much more likely to buy. Absolutely. And I think the thing that really bums me out that you, that you mentioned is people will put up an offer and it doesn't feel like it's going very well. And typically what we do is we just want to go hide in our hole because it's the worst feeling. Yep. But what ends up happening is people make all kinds of assumptions. They say, this offer is no good. Nobody wants it. Maybe I'm no good at this. Maybe I don't have a good business idea. I mean, I have seen people scrap entire businesses because, of, and I'm just like, did you talk to people? Because maybe like, think about how funny that is. Like my offer was like lukewarm. I added a 30 day pop-up group and it sold out. Like, I know that sounds really simple, but it would have been so easy for me to say, all right, I guess this idea is no good. I'm going to move on to something else. It ended up being $4,000 in revenue for me in the month of April. Like it was a huge thing. And so it, ne I, I never would have happened upon that idea without getting vulnerable enough to have those conversations with people. Um, so much easier to just assume that it's not the right idea. And that just is not the case. Steph, this is amazing. This whole framework is just so clear and easy. Like all of your trainings, you're known for laying things out. Obviously, the analytical planner mind that you have <laughs> translates very well to being a, a great teacher. And I want to point people to a couple of resources if they're interested in checking out more from Steph. The first is Steph has a free workshop you can take over at her site. It's called Six Steps to Go from Crickets to Customers. And Steph mentioned that Crickets to Customers is her big flagship program. This takes a lot of that and distills it down to the six steps that you need to know how to go from nobody's paying attention at all to I have actual customers who are loving what I'm doing and they're putting money in my pocket. So this yes. is a free on-demand workshop training. You can go to courageandclarity.com slash workshop for that. Also, if you are interested in trying Fizzle, which is our premium training and coaching program that we run over at fizzle.co, inside of Fizzle, you will find Steph's 
flagship Fizzle course called mm -hmm. Customer Conversations, which we talked about just briefly before. That gets all into how to have com conversations with your customers so that you know what to create. And a lot of times this happens long before you're even connected to those people as like audience members or mm -hmm. previous customers. It can happen at any point in your business and it's incredibly valuable. It really holds the key to making more sales. So check both of those out. Steph, anything else to add to this for people who are thinking about how do I get a quick cash injection? One thing that I noticed was that we're really talking about either offering services or pre-selling something. We're not talking about hunkering down and creating a whole online course because that's yeah. not quick. That's not easy. Mm -hmm. That's probably not fun either. <laughs> it doesn't, it doesn't meet those, those criteria. Yeah. And as soon as you commit to like creating an online course, next thing you know, three months goes by before you exactly. have out there. So we're talking probably about offering services to people or at least pre-selling something that you're going to deliver over time so mm -hmm. that you get the money in the door and you're able to do this whole thing, as you said earlier, within a week or so. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I think the last thing I would say is just don't overlook what you might already have right in front of you. Corbett knows this about me. We've been friends and worked work together for a long time. I am the first person who likes to take on a new project. I know we all like that sort of like shiny new project feeling. You'll often find me at the beginning of a project more than at the end. It's just my personality. But so I can tell you more than anybody, looking at what you already have is that has probably been like one of the biggest things I've learned over the past couple of years of doing this on my own is you really want to make sure you're helping the things that you already have, the things you already know how to do, double and triple down on those things. You know, see if you can get the most mileage you can. Um, in your mind, you might be thinking, gosh, I've, I've done this a million times. Like who else is still going to want this? Or, but like, here's the thing, the customers who are out there don't have that same perspective that you do. So think about what comes supernaturally to you. Like what Corbett said of, you know, he can manage projects for people in his sleep probably. And so that's an amazing um, idea for a scrappy selling offer. So think about the thing that just comes supernaturally to you. Oftentimes I find people kind of waiting, feeling like they need to have certain things in place before they go out there and sell. And what I can tell you right now is you can get started with this today. You don't need a sales page website. Just get started with what you already know because chances are there's somebody out there who needs that. And don't forget about the fun. If you're feeling any kind of resistance yeah. to this thing, just ask yourself, like, what could I do to make this more exciting for myself? Because if you're engaged, then customers are going to feel that. It's going to make the project much easier. And what are we doing if we're not having fun in business? Absolutely. Steph Crowder, thank you so much for being on the show. We should also mention that you can find Steph over at her podcast, Courage and Clarity. You can find that in any podcast player. And I'm Corbett Barr. You can find the show notes for this over at fizzleshow.co. And until next time, thanks for listening to The Fizzle Show.